Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com? Here is this week's teaching. First, let me say welcome to those of you who are watching on church307.com, to our friends over at the prison, our friends at the jail. And then for those of you who are in the room, I've got a request today. You know, there's two different versions of listening to somebody speak, and I've seen you all do both of them. One is like the deadpan, you're a dead person sitting here. When are you going to be done? I want to eat person. But then there's the person who's like leaning in and like active listening eyes and you're smiling and chuckling at jokes. Can I invite you to that second person uh, today? Because we're going to support Bill as he brings his first ever sermon to us. Uh, many of you know Bill Nicholas. He is here uh, getting experiences, preparing to go and plant a church with Caleb Smith in Casper. You're going to be hearing more about. Yes, we are celebrating that. And so he is going through classes and getting all the experiences necessary to, to launch that church. And so uh, this is a part of that journey. And, you know, the first time I talked to Bill, actually, he emailed me and he said, uh, hey, I read your book. I bought it on Sunday. And I was like, it's Tuesday. So... Uh, <laughs> That was quick. And he, he said, can we talk about it? And we had coffee and then we sat down and he started pouring out his heart at City Brew. And I was like, you have got a sermon. Like you, you, you need to be preaching this message. And so that was how long ago? Oh, it was last year. Last year sometime. Yeah. And uh, there has been a journey from that coffee to today that has quite been a quite a journey yeah. quite a roller coaster so he was sitting there and there's, now he's up here there's a difference between talking to you versus talking to you all there is all a difference yeah get, getting it out uh in a way other than coffee is different but uh yeah. so give him another round of applause and say welcome to bill nicholas thank you so much uh you know i mike said this was my first sermon uh, to be given. And I guess technically it's my second because I spoke at the first service. But it's my first time to you. And so um, if it goes badly, you can say, well, you know, it's his first sermon. You know, it would kind of feel pity for me. If it goes okay, then you say, well, that was really good for his first sermon. So uh, I'm just setting that up firsthand so that it's all, it just looks good, Yeah. Uh, you can't be disappointed. Um, it is just a great honor to be able to be up here in front of you guys, uh, to pour into you what God has been pouring into me. Um, and I think of, uh, you know, some of the great pastors that have been here, the great pastors in history uh, that have been sitting in front of crowds just like you guys and and pouring into you guys. I think of... Uh, I think of pastors like, and he was a great missionary like Hudson Taylor. Um, uh, there he is, a great missionary. Uh, then there was uh, guys like Dwight Moody who just changed the world. And then uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, an icon in pastors. And what did all three of those guys have in common? They have great beards. 
You know, there's something about a great beard and being a past and being a pastor. And so I even the next one is uh, and I, I bring Santa Claus into this because we share the last name in Saint Nic- in Nicholas. And so I make that connection right there. I don't know why else I brought him up. And then we have Jesus who in I know no we don't know what Jesus looked like, but in every picture I see, he's got a beard. And so if and I know that having a beard doesn't make you holy or doesn't make you a great pastor or preacher, but if it does, I'm leaning into that pretty hard. <laughs> so I'm hoping. Um, and Mike and Paul, it's not too late. No shave November's coming. You're looking a little thin down there, so you know you never know. All right, a little more serious note. Um, this this sermon has really been born kind of out of uh, just my heart for people. And, and I, work in, I work in hospitals, I work in the ERs usually, and uh, I just see a lot of hurting people, a lot of people struggling with identity, struggling with who they are, and the aspect of the real us. What's going on inside the real us versus what we portray to other people around us. And um, I think of my childhood, I think for me, it all started, well, I think it all starts from all our childhoods, but for me specifically, um, I grew up in a single parent home with a brother and sister, and my mom had a lot of struggles. Uh, She had a horrible childhood. And when I look at her childhood, and I don't blame her for any of it, she was just doing the best she could, but... Uh, she couldn't. She had a hard time even holding the job down, and um, and I think at some point there's a subconscious uh, decision in my life where I just I couldn't trust my mom for my physical needs or, or my emotional needs, and I think some of that stemmed from going outside. You know, I spent a lot of time outside my house. Uh, in fact. There's very few rules that I had. One was, hey, you got to be home before dark, and I obeyed that some of the time. Um, and so you can imagine, I was this kid that just, I was up before my mom got out of bed, and I came home at some point in time. I spent a lot of time at friends' houses. I spent a lot of time running around a town of about 3,500 people, and I found my share of trouble in doing that, as you can imagine. Um, and I think part of what, how I dealt with stress and how I dealt with uh, my childhood is some of it I just buried. You know, I just wasn't going to deal with it. And, and I filled my needs wherever I felt that they needed filled. And I did what I needed to have to do uh, to get through that. Or, and so a lot of what drove me and a lot of what drives all of us is fear, guilt, shame, and condemnation. Everything that I dealt with as a kid came out of one of those four things. And in a sense that how we deal with stress today is the same way that we probably dealt with stress as kids. So how I dealt with stress as a kid generally carries on to how I deal with stress today as an adult. And, um, and for me, um, it took a lot of 
unpeeling uh, my life, especially as an adult, and you can ask my wife. Well, don't ask her. That would, that's a lot, another story. But she's been so patient with me uh, growing out of little Billy as a kid and trying to get to adulthood. And it took me probably a little longer than normal people, but I think we made it, maybe. Well, probably not. <laughs> but uh, so we're going to go back into Genesis. We're going to see how Adam and Eve dealt with what they had to deal with when they first started having issues. So in Genesis 3, 6 through 7, it says, so, let, so, let's, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruits and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The first thing that pops out uh, to me in this verse is that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Now, I've looked at a lot of trees and a lot of fruit, but I've never thought that it would make me wise. And you, so you can see the, uh, the serpent kind of sneaking in here and filling Eve's, eye, Eve's mind with ideas and thoughts about what this fruit could do, what this fruit meant. And, um, and so, and in the sense of once they ate of the fruit, their first instinct was to hide. And so hide, whether it was hiding behind a fig leaf or in Adam and Eve's case, they hid from God behind a bush. This was their first step in isolation, isolating themselves from what they were, isolating themselves from God because of what they did and what they looked like or what they comprehended. So in the sense that we are not what we used to be, so we're going to cover up what we were, what we are. We are not what we were, so we're going to cover up what we are. And this is the masks. These are the masks that we put on in lives is that something happens or we have been something in the past and we are going to put a mask on or we're going to put a fig leaf on to cover what we are so nobody can see that. And so and, and we're going to portray ourselves as something else. And um, in, in a sense, it's really us hiding from ourselves just as much as we're hiding from each other or the people around us. God then shows up in the garden, as he always did in the cool evening, and he's looking for Adam, and he says, hey, Adam, where you at? And of course, like a good kid who's done something wrong, they don't answer. <laughs> They're hiding. And so God responds again, Adam, where you at? And Adam finally responds, I'm over here. And God says, where's over here? Where you at? I can't see you. Behind the bush. Why are you behind the bush, Adam? Well, I'm naked. And and God's response is his heart for all of us is, who told you you were naked? His, his response isn't, well, why are you naked? What did you do? It's not assigning blame. It's, it's not he's angry at Adam, but he's more concerned about the voice that he's listening to than he is about 
any sin that was committed. God wasn't concerned about that, but he was more concerned about the voice that Adam was listening to. God knows why he's naked. That's, that's not a mystery to him. He doesn't, again, he's not showing up angry, but who told you there was something wrong with you? I didn't say there was anything wrong with you. Who told you that? What voice are you listening to? It's God's way of saying, stop listening to what others are saying about you. Adam was hearing he was naked, but we have our own voices pouring into our lives of fear, guilt, shame, and condemnation. All these external voices that say that you're not good enough. What you look like isn't good enough. What, you're, what you've done is too much for God. And so these voices keep pouring into our lives about how, how we're not good enough, how we don't measure up. Part of the reason I think uh, that we fall for this is we just don't see that we're good. I think that, you know, when it comes in Genesis, when in creation, in day one, God finished and he said, that was good. Day two, good. Day three, good. Day four, good. Day five, good. But when it came to day six, God said, that was very good. That when Adam and Eve, when he created man and, and woman, he said it was very good. When he created you, he had in mind that you are very good. Despite what the other voices say, you are very good. And this is part of the reason why we think there is a gap or a separation between us and God. And we struggle with closeness and try to create isolation between us and God because we don't think that we're good. We're not good enough for God's goodness. God pours out his love and his, his desire for a relationship in spite of what we do. That, that our, our salvation is based not on what we do, but what he did. And so we have a hard time connecting ourselves with God God's love and his passion for us. And we want, we would try to create this separation. You know, and if we put, we even bring this into the church in the sense that we think that if we put on enough fig leaves and praise the Lord at the same time, nobody will realize I have a problem. Putting on fig leaves to cover up who we truly are so we, and we have this mask of who we want to be. Again, he shows up not to beat Adam up because when it really comes down to it, it's, it's God's voice that makes the difference. It's God's voice that says, I love you. You are important to me. You are my son. You're a daughter. Your sins are forgiven. You are accepted. God's voice always lifts up. Yet the, all the other voices, the shame, guilt, Fear, condemnation always tear down, always create separation. And God is always trying to bring us back together. There's this, uh, this gap illustration that, um, that I grew up with a lot. And it has these two, two cliffs. Uh, you have God on one side and you have us on the other. And then there's this cross in between. And, and, it, and it illustrates that, that Jesus what Jesus did on the cross, 
brings those two together. And, and the illustration is fine, I understand it. I just have a little problem with it. In the sense that that gap is usually portrayed as sin, that sin separates us. The problem is, is that sin is forgiven. And we always are the ones that try to create that gap. We're the ones creating that gap. We're the ones putting on the fig leaf. We're putting on the mask and God is, God is looking at us. And, he, and in a sense, he really just steps over the gap and he's on our side and he's all, what are you doing? And we're out there digging this gap as fast and as hard as we can. And he's like, what are you doing? I want us to be together. I want to be in union with each other. I don't want to be separated. I don't want this, this separation. I don't want this. And if, the, if, you, if you see that there's a gap between you and God, it's all in your mind. We create it. God didn't create it. He's on our side. He's with us. Nothing we can do can separate us from that, that love of Christ. Nothing we can do can, can affect his love for us. We are loved despite what we do. He accepts us despite what we do. He loves us for who we are. In, in Romans 8.39, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No gap. No separation. Why do we create this gap or this separation? I think it's because of God's goodness. We're never who we wish we could be or the best that we, that we are. And we fail to meet so many standards that we set for ourselves. His goodness is so awesome and his love is so powerful that the internal response is to run away from God, to get away from his goodness. And you see this in the illustration or the story of the woman who had uncontrolled bleeding where she touches the hem of God, Jesus' garment, to be healed. And the first response is to run. She runs away from God or Jesus because his goodness is so good. This kind of love that Jesus portrays will lay us bare and show us who we really are. That his love will strip the fig leaves that we add on to our lives. That love tears down the walls. It, te- it brings that separation, that separation together. His love defies anything we can do. This is why people run from grace because it leads to truth. And truth is scary. The truth of who we really are, the truth of things that we've been hiding, truth is scary. But Christ's love reveals truth. It is all about truth. If you knew all the things that I have done, that truth would be scary. If you knew all the things that I thought, that truth would be scary. And yet, Christ knows that truth. He is that truth. And despite that truth that I am shameful of, that, that I am in fear of, he loves me anyway. He loves me because of that. In a sense, it also is that even ever since the beginning of when Adam sinned, God is going, he's really going on a rescue mission. He's going on a rescue mission to find Adam. 
And by the time he come, that Jesus comes, he's here on earth as the physical manifestation of God on a rescue mission. He's hunting down people, declare them, he, he's hunting people down to declare them, not to declare them guilty. He's hunting people down who are sick so he can go to work healing them, removing fig leaves and masks in their lives, restoring them back to who he created them initially. If you can kind of imagine that, that God is going on this rescue mission for you, and his desire is to peel back all these fig leaves that we have put on so that the real us can be shown. That the real us comes out, the one he originally created, the one for his, that his desire is that we will become priests and that we will go into the world not the fig leaf covered person, but the real person that he created. Um, I think this, this is an illustration of a fig leaf, or a, this is a, this is kind of what a fig leaf looks like. And you can imagine why Adam used it. It's nice and big and it covers a lot. And, um, We'll try to keep this PG, so try not to use your imagination too much. But um, the interesting thing about the fig leaf is when it's, it is separated from the tree or its source of life, it begins to shrivel. It begins to shrivel and it begins to dry out. And in a sense, what we think covers us doesn't really cover us at all in God's presence. See, God can see through. He sees through and around the fig leaf. And in a sense, we don't hide from God behind fig leaves. We hide from God behind bushes. We hide from ourselves behind fig leaves. But it doesn't, it doesn't really work because God can see us for who we really are. And um, in a sense, it's the real you that's come out and the real you gets exposed in the presence of God. And as, if Christ is ascended and Christ is on the throne and Christ is on your heart, in your heart, then what voices are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of God who speaks life and encourages and tells you who you really are? Are you listening to the voices of the world that tear you down? Adam was hearing he was naked. But we listen, you know, we have so many voices that speak that, again, that shame, guilt, condemnation into our lives. I think part of uh, the separation, you know, and if, if Adam would have come out from behind the bush when God was looking for him, and he said, God, uh, we ate from that tree. We ate of the fruit. Uh, I know you told us not to do it. Uh, something happened, and we covered it up, and you're going to have to do something because this is not good. <laughs> There's a lot of shame here. There's a lot of uh, fear, and what are we going to do about it? If, if Adam would have done that, that would have been the first step in union or coming together. That would have been us being honest with ourselves and being honest with God about who we are and saying, God, I'm in fear of what the real me is 
Because fear really is what is hidden. Usually when we, we uncover what is hidden, it takes the power of that fear away. Just like if, if we have a secret that we haven't told, that secret holds so much power in our lives over us. But yet, if that secret is unveiled and the truth comes out, it no longer holds power over us. And it's the same with our fig leaves. If we were to remove those fig leaves, that the stuff that's in our lives that we're covering up, that's a scary, it's a scary thought. It's a scary, but once it happens, then we can be free. There's a freedom that comes with that that we're not hiding from. Um, also, I think that we look at those things, we look at our fig leaves as strengths for some reason. We look at and we see, we see it as that we have overcome maybe this, this hurt or this hurdle in our lives and we go, that, this is a strength of mine that, that I have overcome this. But the problem is that in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul talks about what strength looks like. He said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so Christ's power may rest on me. And that, that verse is hard because my weakness is his strength. That's a, that's a struggle. I mean, what, what about my weakness can be God's strength? And we think that all, really all these things that are underneath these fig leaves or these masks that we put on, those are our weaknesses. Those are weaknesses to, to us. And so how could God's strength be in our weakness? And, and we, we even take this kind of this illustration out into the world and we see people that are just like, usually have a really good talent or something that they, they can, they're really good at. And we say, boy, if only that person could be saved, what they could do for God. See, and that's taking a strength from the world and that's applying God's strength and thinking that if we could add those together, that, that's, that's the key. And the problem is, you know, God's saying, no, no, no. Your, we, your weakness is my strength. I can't take your strength and combine it with my strength, it never works out. Because it, what it ends up doing is it becomes all about you. It all becomes about what you did or what you can do in my name. And I need, I need you to do what you do through me. And it's not, um, it's not that our talents aren't used for God or, you know, God doesn't, but what happens is that we kind of give those talents to him and then he rebirths them back to us. We also see in, in Ephesians 6 where, uh, we talk, that Paul talks about the armor of God. And we look at the armor of God. Well, that, that is a strength. And, and if, I could, if I could add God's strength to my strength and add his armor on, then we could do some stuff. And the problem is we're... we're we're living with all these fig leaves and masks on, and then we're trying to add God's armor over the top of our issues. And it's kind of like trying to put a pair of skinny jeans on after you've gained 30 pounds. You can imagine you're jumping around trying to pull those things on, fig leaves are popping out, and you're trying to button it, and you finally get a button, and you're afraid to relax because you're afraid that button's going to come shooting off and hurt somebody across the room. 
you got that muffin top that's hanging over the edge. And is that a little too far, Mike? A little too much visual? Yeah, probably. Um, but uh, the sense that God, you can't add God to your problems and expect that you can do, go do this great work. And we, we forget that two chapters earlier in Ephesians 4, talk, Paul talks about you have to put off before you put on. Put off the old man before you can put on the new man. Put off the fig leaves, some of the troubles, before you can put on who Christ says you are. Put off the old way of thinking, the old way of doing, before putting on the new. It's just putting off before you can put on. And so the armor of God gets put on after we put off all those the fig leaves of our lives. And this goes right into kind of the thinking of baptism in the sense that God doesn't want your life, but he wants your death. See, there's this quote that says, he came to be the resurrection and the life, and those who will take their stand on a death he can use instead of a life he cannot. That we have to go into our baptism. We have to die to who we were before we become who he says that we are. We have to realize that our way is never going to get us what we want truly until we give over to who he is and what he wants from us. So in the sense that we go into the water of baptism, dying to who we were, the fig leaves floating to the top. We are being washed of all this sin, all these problems. And when we rise, we can't stay in the water because those who are continue to be washed end up drowning. We've got to come out of the water as a new creation, as a new, with new passions and new desires. We are raised out of the water. Just like Jesus went into the grave and he came out, we are going into the water and coming out. Uh, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. So Jesus came to John and said, I need you to baptize me. And John said, no, no, no. You need to baptize me. I don't, that's not my job. And Jesus said, no, I need you to do it. He said, because I need, I need, you, I need to show everybody how to do it. I need everybody to see what it looks like to go into your baptism and to come out. And the thing is, is that where was Jesus going? Where did Jesus go right after he came out of his baptism? He went into the desert to be tempted. In Matthew 3.17, it says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my son. This, sorry, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Just like Jesus needs to be reminded, we need to be reminded before we go into our deserts to face our serpents and devils. So we, one, Jesus needed to be reminded that he was a son. That he was loved by the Father and that he was loved as a son. The second thing that Jesus needed to be, know, needed to be reminded of was that he was good. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Before he had done any miracle, before he had started his ministry, he needed to know he was a son and he was loved and he was accepted for who he was. Then he could go face the temptation that he needed to face. 
just like we need to know that before we go out today into our desert and face what we need to face. We need to be reminded, we need to be thinking that, know that we are sons and that we are loved for who we are. If we are going to release people into freedom, release people out into the world, we have to let them know who they truly are versus who they think they are. We have such a faulty idea of God that we keep trying to get what we already have. We're we're trying to get saved, get forgiven, become righteous. If we would understand our freedom starts with understanding our identity. Once we understand who we are, then we can go out, go we can, we can let go of who we are and all these false identities that we carry around with us, all these, all these fig leaves and all these voices that tell us who we are, and we begin to listen to who God says that we are. That is the beginning of freedom. Because once, once you start to listen to God and you start to believe who you are and God says that you are, then you stop acting like something else. We look at this, this identity as we see the church, the church as a whole as this corporate identity that we are loved as a church. The church is loved. God loves the church. And, and we, so we see this corporate identity, but we also, it's, I think it's more important. Jesus needed to see this individual identity. He needed to know that he was loved and that he was accepted. He was a son or a daughter before he could go out, just like we need to know Yes, we need to know that we have a corporate identity, but we have an individual identity that Christ loves. He loves me for me. And when I add my name to it, it becomes even more real that, Bill, you are loved. You are a son of the Most High God, and he loves you for who you are. That takes on some, some meaning when you start adding your name to it. I think of so many stories in the Bible that all this illustrates. It got, you know, Ruth, the prodigal son, the woman of, with uncontrolled bleeding, the woman at the well where God, where Jesus shows up and he's peeling fig leaves off of these people that he is giving, he gives them identity and he sends them away. He's peeling off what they thought who they thought, what people were saying about them. He peels that all away. He said, no, this is who you are. This is the true you. Now go out into the world with that identity and not what the other voices are saying. You carry glory. You are unique. You are a mystery. Because of these things are true, your value is limitless. You need reminded of this value from time to time as generations across time. Jesus asked the audience if they were more valuable than many sparrows. If God provided for the birds, would he not provide for his own? They needed to hear this of their value as they had forgotten it or they never knew it at all. If value is established by the buyer, not the seller, then lean into the buyer who knows all. In the world, we are being sold, sold for a bill of goods, sold a lie, sold for parts. If our heavenly father 
in our heavenly father, we are being bought, bought out of an auction block of sin, out of the hold of Satan, out of our past and out of our fear. The buyer has put such a high price on you that he gave his only son so that you might be free. Are you not more valuable than sparrows? Not only are you, va- are you valuable, but you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You contain a spark of the divine. You have your father's eyes. There is something within you so powerful, so majestic, that once it encounters the divine love of God, it tends to blossom into joy and peace and an irrational love of your neighbor. It is there waiting. It is glory. You are a mystery a sort of divine mystery. You are not a problem to be solved or a puzzle to be worked out, a stranger to be shunned. The church and ministers have treated you like someone to be fixed, and we are terribly guilty of this. We have often mistaken our call to proclaim the good news with the job of the Messiah who actually transforms. Our hearts were in the right place, but our understanding was darkened. We cannot fix what ails you. That is Christ's job. But we can walk this road with you and be fascinated by, in the discovery of the mystery that is you. You are a mystery because as you shed the fig leaves or the masks that you use to cover up who you really are, that mystery is revealed. Because the true you is so unique if that, if that unique person is, re, is released into the world with the freedom of Christ behind you, what could be accomplished? Because then you would actually be his creation that he created from the beginning. His intended creation to go out into the world and proclaim his good news. That unique person with that unique message Who knows what could happen? It's only with us shedding those fig leaves or peeling those fig leaves back that we understand what freedom in Christ really is. Because because fig fig leaves are so oppressive and hold us back from the true creation that we are, it's only by peeling them back that we discover what freedom looks like. In fact, we, he can only do it with our permission that if we don't give God permission to, to peel those or pull those fig leaves off, it can never happen. In fact, that happens so much in my life where, where God says, how, how will we deal with that, this situation? And I go, oh, God, that's, that's a little too quick and fast. I'm not ready for that. And, and the thing is, is he's okay with that. You know, he says, that's all right. We'll circle back around at another time, and, and quite often he does. And so I never get away with it forever, but, you know, maybe next time I'm ready for it. And this is the same, it's the same with all of us, is that we, we struggle through life trying to get, trying to live this life with so many fig leaves and masks on, and God is, again, he's on that rescue mission to try to peel those layers back to pull those fig leaves off. And again, it goes back to, again, my childhood who, where I added on a lot of fig leaves in my life. I, str- I had a lot of struggles. 
And I look back and I go, what, what, would, have, what would have solved that? Or what would have fixed some of that stuff? And it's God's love. It's his grace. I think I needed, sometimes I just needed a big hug and say, it'll be okay. I love you for who you are. I love you despite what you do. And we all deal, we're all dealing with that in one fashion or another. We all have fig leaves. We all have issues. It's just the peeling of those layers back. God knows how to do it. He's the perfect, he's the, the, he's the perfect fig leaf puller. He knows exactly how to do it, how fast to do it, how slow to do it. You know, some, some of us are fast band-aid rippers. Like we're going to rip that band-aid off. Some of us are a lot slower. Some of us get halfway done and cover it back up. It's okay. God, God works at your pace, but he, he never lets it go. He's always for union. He's always for coming together. And so he's going to get rid of that separation. With every, every ounce of his being, he's going to get rid of that separation. As we go into prayer today, I invite you guys to, uh, if you need prayer for something that you're struggling with or dealing with, I want you to, Come, come see me after the service. We'll, we'll pray for you. I know there's a, there's stuff, tough stuff in this world. There's tough stuff we go through and we can't do it alone. We need other people to walk with it through and just to talk it out. And I understand that. And so the church is here for you. And if you're online, fill out that connect card. Let us know if we can, how we can pray for you and what we can do. We want, we want to help you out in any way we can. Let's go to prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this. Uh, we thank you for today. We thank you for this message of fig leaves and voices. God, help us to hear your voice. It's really your heart's desire for us to come to you, to see you for who you are, that knowing that we are loved despite ourselves. That our salvation is not based on our works or what we can do, but what you did. Nothing we can do. But that we are, we are loved for who we are. There's nothing that can separate, separate us from your love. And I, and I keep thinking, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Help us to believe that. Help us to understand. Help us become a message, a voice in our life that will not go away. You are loved and there's no condemnation. Send us out this week to help spread that message of your love in your voice and help us to, to peel the layers off so we can become the true us. In your name, amen.